0: On this edition of the Table of Content, we are joined by Kathy Gilmore. Not only is she an award winning author, mother, and wife, she is also a virtue advocate. We'll find out why virtues are important to Kathy coming up next, right here on the Table of Content. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Table of Content. I am your host, Albert Sines. So glad to have you on board. And today we are joined by Kathy Gilmore. Kathy, thanks so much for being with us.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: We are so glad to have you. And if you uh, caught that intro, as I was saying Kathy is an advocate for virtues. I mean, she even apparently has a, a tagline for herself as Mrs. Virtue Lady uh, that she says she uses with, with with the kids. So we want to find out more about her work with virtues. But before we can get there, we've got to let the listeners know a little bit more about who Kathy Gilmore is. So, Kathy, can you help our listeners know a little bit more about you and your background?
1: Absolutely. Um, I was basically a timid little bunny rabbit um, hid in the cave of my life for 25 years. When I graduated from college, I wanted to be a children's author and it basically took me 25 years to get the courage to do so. So in the last number of years, I first published a book called Easter Bunny's Amazing Day with my sister. And that basically is where I really found my author's voice. And it was creating little characters who speak, in the first person and who tell stories of various biblical or moments of spiritual history. And then as my son was growing older, um, I realized that there was a real need for virtue-focused resources and materials and stories um, for children and families. And so then my my storyteller's heart really then honed in on creating stories completely devoted to helping children desire virtue in their hearts. And so that's, that's where my series that just premiered last year called Virtue Heroes um, was born. And it's a uh, series that'll continue to grow. We have two books out now. Uh, The first one was A Mouse and a Miracle by a Little Mouse, who helps children desire the virtue of humility. We have a camel named Amel, who helps children desire the virtue of wisdom, because he was on the the journey of the Magi uh, to visit baby Jesus with the wise men. And then the one that's coming out this year is Eli the Caterpillar, who is the virtue hero of kindness. And he highlights the Virtue and the kindness of Saint Joseph when um, Jesus was lost in the temple. So, whole series coming along, and hopefully the children will will really be able to have their imaginations energized with virtue.
0: Okay, so I want to I do want to get more into the tiny virtue heroes. But you said something in your background that I would love for you to give just a little bit more depth to for our listeners. You said that since you were younger, you had wanted to be a, a children's book author, correct? Mhm. But it it took you you said 25 years? Yep. Uh, can 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 you sort of say how you sort of held on because I you know, I talk to people who want to write And I've heard, you know, oh, well, it's just, you know, these people had just sort of the natural inclination and they went right for it. Some people are, are scared to sort of write or they're scared to put their work out there because they're afraid of what they might hear back in return. So you kind of had this long run and then you finally move forward and you make it happen. Can you sort of talk just a little bit about how you finally sort of said, all right, it's time now to write what I want to write and how you made it come to life?
1: Well I know that I I had that creative um, creative gift all the way through So I knew that my heart was creative but I worked in retail and merchandising and marketing and all kinds of other things where I was using my creativity but I wasn't using it in the direction that I had always kind of longed for. And that's why it really was special when my sister approached me and said, "Would you like to create this Easter Bunny reboot of the Easter Bunny story with me?" And it was like I had been waiting all that time for basically for her to take my hand. And give me the courage to walk through the process because I was completely intimidated by the whole process of publishing. And but 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 because we were walking forward um, together, that made all the difference. And then once once I had been through the process once and we learned a whole lot, then then being able to uh continue to follow that path, um, I, I had the confidence to do so.
0: So so for you it was your sister in a sense, like really sort of pulling you and helping to encourage you to bring you to the point where you are.
1: Yeah. So, and, and it was neat because it was for her too. you know, she had always been somebody that loved stories and and you know telling stories to her children and all that. so we really were these little partners in uh, in bringing that frightened little bunny uh uh to trust in the love of Jesus so it was uh it was good.
0: well, it sounds like like you found a way, and i I think I would want the listeners that maybe are out there uh who are maybe scared and intimidated themselves perhaps to. Uh, consider maybe they maybe they need to find someone kind of like your sister, not find your sister, but find <laughs> someone like that that maybe can help sort of uh bring them along because I think there 's a lot of people out there who have these creative gifts and they want to share it, and the world needs those creative people, but they 're they 're just sort of holding themselves back so I want to encourage the listeners right now if you if you can find someone to help sort of bring you along, bring them with you on your journey because the world needs your gifts. So uh, let, let's, let's move on to your virtue heroes and your tiny virtue heroes. And you kind of gave us a, a little synopsis of what's out right now and what's coming. But mm-hmm. uh, here's the first question. Why, why virtues? Why focus on virtues? There's, I mean, there's so many things in our faith to focus on, and you chose virtues. Why that?
1: Well, what's interesting is that children, you know, we want our children to learn faith. I homeschooled my older daughters for seven years, so I was very, you know, highly motivated to pass on faith to my children. But virtue is where the faith is lived in life. Virtue is where the faith becomes part of your habit patterns inside you. And so if, if you know a whole lot about the faith, that isn't really enough. Unless you're actually living a, a life that is influenced by what you know, then the knowledge can make you puffed up. It can give you um, arrogance. It can, it can open the door to a whole lot of trouble. And so when, when you focus on the goal, which is virtue of bringing that faith alive in your actions and that the love motivates your actions, then you are truly living the Christian life. And so I wanted to figure a way, because think about it, we have a culture that is absolutely obsessed with entertainment. We are basically entertaining ourselves to death. And um, and so I wanted to find a way that speaks the language of modern children's entertainment, okay, like the, like the big guys. Um, so I wanted to speak that language of these little characters, these little characters that talk, but to do so in a way that the children will admire the character and then the little character will be like a Pied Piper drawing the child to desire virtue, Because we can teach the children all day about what virtues are and what the words are and what it's like, Mm -hmm. but if the child doesn't desire it, then it doesn't do any good. So that's my motive, is to get the children to desire to be virtuous.
0: So instead of just making a child-friendly, we'll say, catechism that talks about the virtues, you saw that it would be necessary to sort of as you said, make it desirable for the children. And, and, and it sure does. I mean, it looks. I mean, the what you have on the website, and we'll make sure and we kind of give that uh, website out near the end, you know, these characters look very appealing, very desirable. And I, I think I appreciate that you have these sort of sidekicks, these sort of uh, friends on the side of the larger characters uh, helping to sort of teach. Uh, because many times I think we... Uh, we stand to learn a lot from the people maybe that aren't front and center like we have the main here's here's the main well in, as far as literature will say here's the main protagonist but sometimes we can learn a lot from the people surrounding the protagonist so i like that you sort of have taken these tiny virtue heroes and surrounded them around the main characters to help sort of bring those very important virtues to life
1: right and, and the, if you talk to anyone who spends their life doing character education and you ask them, well, how do you boil it all down? How do we build character in young people? And the people that really know, they say that it comes down to two things, role models and relationships, if you can give children role models to look up to and emulate, it draws the child in that that good, noble, um, and what I would say, virtuous direction. But also relationships that you want to you want them to be, feel like they are in a relationship with people who are of strong character. And so, what I've tried to accomplish in these storybooks is to To have the little sidekick, the little animal, is where the child makes a relationship. They are making friends with these little characters. And then the little friend leads them to the role model. And typically in each story, there's two role models. So like in Moshe's book... In uh, Mouse and a Miracle, the first one, it's Moshe the mouse is telling the story of his hero, Mary, who is the hero of humility. And the, it's framed all within the story of the Annunciation, where God takes this humble girl and exalts her to be the mother of Jesus. But then he also, at the end of the story, it's like a little bonus, there is a mission virtue hero, so kind of a a more, uh, a later in history person, you know, like a saint. Um, and the one for this book is Justo Takeyama Yukon, who is the mission virtue hero from Asia, and he was a samurai warrior in Japan that ended up becoming a saint. And so we have these two different characters that the children are drawn to look up to through the storytelling of this little sidekick mouse named Moshe. So that's how each of the stories are designed.
0: I really, I really am just sort of fascinated by the way, okay, it would have been easy to just sort of say, well, let's just take a book and let's, let's make a mouse and let's talk about humility, and it's all going to be kind of done. But I appreciate that you have poured into it so much more that it's not just as simple as, here's here's a character mouse, and we're going to talk about humility. You've you've tied in, in this particular book, you've tied in Mary, you've tied in the Annunciation, you've tied in this extra hero from from Asia that I'm sure most people have not heard about. I didn't know about him until you just said it. So right. it's it you're really covering a lot of ground here, and I just think that that's fascinating.
1: Well, it's—I it's, it, it's I mean, when I first started putting these stories together, people thought I was crazy because I, I was, like, packing too much information in the book. But I was like, no, because I want these stories to be something that a child will go back to again and again— as they get bigger you know they may read it uh as read aloud when they are three or four years old or maybe five but we want them to go back to it once they've learned how to read because it's such a rich and deep story that it's fun to revisit and there's even an action part of it um, at the end when we talk about justo Tekiyama yukon the mission virtue hero Well, we're also inviting the children that they can be virtue heroes themselves. And so we pray for all of the people who live in Justo Takeyama's land of Asia. So we're actually taking it. The next step is to have the children pray because um, prayer is what gives us what I call G-force, the grace force. Um, And Prayer gives us the grace so that we can be virtuous. And so we're actually giving the children the opportunity to pray and build their strength so that they can have their virtue power.
0: You know, you know why I think I appreciate this is because, you know, you were talking about, you said that you were getting comments that you were packing too much into this child's book. But you know what, uh, you know, being, being a father uh, of three kids myself, I've learned that, you know, if if you don't challenge your children, you don't give them the opportunity to sort of rise to that moment, to sort of try on their own, to learn on their own, to move to the next step. If I just sort of pat them on the head and treat them always just like a simple child and don't present anything to them that's sort of uh, heavier, you know, not, uh, and I say just more content, then they're not they're not potentially going to absorb that. So you've, you've created a child's book that gives a child a chance to sort of be challenged in their faith development, in their growth, instead of just sort of saying, well, here's just a nice book with a mouse. You said, no, right. let's, let's go right. further. Let's, let's pray. Let's learn about virtues. Let's teach. Let's, let's give the child an opportunity to actually do something that they probably are capable of if you would just give them the opportunity.
1: Right. And it's not, it's not dumbing those things down for them. It's drawing them to something bigger and broader. And I think that ultimately, you know, we talk a lot about building a child's self-esteem and too, too often that ends up making them kind of selfish. I feel like challenging their intellect and their heart and their soul in these ways is a really healthy form of, you know, developing their self-esteem.
0: Oh, surely. Oh, I, I, I agree with you completely. Uh, so you've got you've got the two out right right now or you've got the third one coming mm-hmm. And what's kind of the long range here? Do you have kind of a, a timeline? You've got a lot more coming in down the road? or are you just going to have a few of these books out?
1: Well, it really is about how God puts the resources together for this series to emerge. Because mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm doing this pretty independently right now. Um, you know, at some point, it would be great uh, if this ends up you know, living within the context of a larger publishing arrangement, but we'll see, you know, for right sure, now, it's, sure. uh, it's just emerging gradually, but this is designed to be a 35 book series. Okay. And, um, because I wanted the virtue heroes to be able to be established. So children now can start getting to know, who these heroes are. They can go to, you know, parents can go to VirtueHeroes.com and they can go have their child get to know all the different heroes and all the little details about it. I've got these like Pokemon, you know, characters (laughs) that, you know, (laughs) I have a character card for each one, you know, on the website so that you can see all the different details. And I know that there's some moms that'll park their kid on the Virtue Heroes page and the child Child loves. I'm hopefully over time adding more links to more info, but the child loves going and finding out who the character is, what their virtue is, and you know who these people that the that the character looks up to. But the first twenty stories actually follow the mysteries of the rosary. Oh, how so nice! My That's my great. hope is that by next year we will uh, have have established the first five. So that we've got the first mystery, but that's, that's the flow of the stories. So like Eli is the finding in the temple. That's the fifth, um, the fifth mystery. We're not going in order. Mm -hmm. We figure if star Wars can go out of order, so can we, (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) <laughs> true, true. If, if George Lucas can do it, so it, can you.
1: Exactly. So, and and it just makes it more fun for the kids. They don't care if they see the stories in some kind of order. Sure. Yeah. Um. And so, but we figured with this being the year of Saint Joseph, we really wanted to launch the story in which he's the hero, in in his year. So that's why Eli is coming out this year. So you know, that's Super. that's the one that'll come out later on.
0: Great. Great. So, Kathy, you don't just limit your virtue work to the tiny heroes. You actually have a bit more work that you're doing on the virtue front at a much larger scale. Is that right?
1: Well, it's funny. It's a, it's a large vision, but it, it, again, is still in the very early stage. And it's called Virtue Works Media. And... When I first I remember when I first uh, was, um, you know, starting to promote the Easter Bunny storybook. I I wanted to meet people. I went to a writer's conference. Uh, You know, if you're looking for ways to find like-minded people to accompany you on the journey, um, the Catholic Writers Guild is a wonderful organization through which I have met some really wonderful people who've helped me along the way. So just the way that my sister and I were, you know, teamed up together. The Catholic Writers Guild is a way to find people to find encouragement. And when I went to my first conference with the Catholic Writers Guild, I walked around this huge expo hall and I kept hearing from everyone saying, Well, Catholics don't get their literature, their entertainment, their whatever, fill in the blank, from Catholic sources. And I was a brand new author and I'm, you know, I'm just astounded to hear people basically discouraged. And, and I'm like, why is this, this, this shouldn't be this way. And I was just, I was like a wide eyed little kid because I had no idea how much wonderful content was out there. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, this is crazy. And so that really sent me home. And, you know, I started reflecting on, well, how could we make a way for families to be able to easily enrich their children's growing up and even their own lives with media and reading that's rich in virtue. And so that took me off on a trajectory of probably two years of research of what resources are available, what is needed... And little by little, I developed the structure for what ultimately will be a rating system based on virtues. And surprise, surprise, there's 35 virtues that are <laughs> that are in this rating system that will ultimately be be easily applied to books, movies, YouTube videos, TV series, music, the whole range. And then because of that, because of technology and everything the rating system would then generate a ever-growing list of titles that would then be easily searched through an online platform. You know, it's basically like a big, big search engine. But, you know, it's taken time to do the research to figure out how this would work, you know, for example, right now you've got rating system, a rating system for films Mm -hmm. and, um, the way that it's designed is it's actually built to have children desire to be old enough to watch worse content. The whole G PG PG 13, it was, it was all well-intended originally before, nasty content was the norm, but now that the nasty content so dominates things that now the kids can't wait to be old enough to see things that are PG and then PG 13. Right. And it's like a rite of passage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and it creates and remember I'm all about what's our desire. Maybe this is the marketing background in me. I don't know. Maybe. But we don't want to create a desire for evil. We don't want to create a desire for moral malnutrition. And so I wanted to turn everything upside down. And I said, well, why can't we create a system of saying, here's the the highlighted virtues that you can enjoy in this title. And this title is great for everybody to enjoy at a certain age level and up. So basically the the virtue works system would be such that you'd say well this is the this is the appropriate age that you can start enjoying this and then enjoy it for the rest of your life. Right. And it's just a change in tone. And then in terms of books and things the one thing that I noticed is that there's a lot of what I would consider yuck that has gotten into you know the publishing and and stuff for families and sure has. I focus yep. I focus a lot on kids but I I'm always thinking in terms of everybody but Um, The way that the even recommendations for children go, um, you see that, you know, where you go, let's say um, you go to someplace like Common Sense Media, and they are really a helpful resource, but they have bought into this notion of age appropriateness, and they will indicate um, that, well, if it's age appropriate for age 16 or whatever, well, they are saying in their approach that, well, anything is age appropriate at some time. Whereas for when you're looking through the virtue lens, then you're going to say, no, some things are never age appropriate. Some things are never worth being on our radar. And so once again, it's a gentle shift. And like for me, I I separate out the maturity issues within this I this approach from the readability issues because if if you I do you have kids um Albert that are like middle school age what age are your kids
0: No they're all they're all five and under
1: Okay well what you'll notice cuz if you are proactive about having your kids read a lot and all that many families have their kids reading at a high reading level in terms of the, 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 the um, readability of the content. Mm-hmm. And then they get into middle school. And unfortunately, middle grade reading, which is basically for kids, uh, they're categorized for 12 and under, um, those don't have the sex and the yuck in them. But the industry standard is that for young adult, which is actually for most publishers, at least for my research, starts at age 12, well, then that's the age range where they, the publishing folks have decided that it's okay to include sexualized content and other um, what you know, faith-filled people would consider morally disturbing content. Yep. And so what happens is the kid who is the really strong reader, because there's no way for the parents to be able to differentiate between the maturity, uh, quote, of the content or the higher level, the challenge of the readability, there's no way for the family to separate those two out. And so then the children are then encouraged to read YA because they can read the more challenging, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, writing. Mm -hmm. And then they end up getting exposed to all kinds of really morally disturbing or destructive things. You know, so, I'm going
0: gonna, I'm gonna to jump in there because y- y- you're you're exactly right. And I've made this exact anecdote several times on the show, and I'll make it again uh, for anyone who hasn't heard me say it before. And if you have, I'm sorry, but I'm going to say it again. Uh, you know, we we discovered after going through Barnes & Noble that there is a section in there dedicated to what is titled Teen Paranormal Romance. And my wife and I were just unbelievably floored that there is a whole section dedicated to this and i bet from the way you're describing what the publishing companies do that that's right on there with the 12 and up who are the high readers they just can pick up one of those books and they get all of this sort of messed up content that has a lot of moral implications but hey it's okay because it's age appropriate because the kid's old enough And we're just like, well, how do we, you know, how did we get here? You know, how did we get to teen paranormal romance as being good books for the young adult, you know, crowd?
1: Well, what is so fascinating, Albert, uh, that I have found in this journey is that many years ago when the morally disturbing content started creeping in, what ended up happening is the faith-filled people and the more virtue-focused people, publishing all that, started self-segregating from the nasty content. So originally, the nasty content was segregated out of of the normal, um, you know, purview, and then as it started creeping in because you know sex was selling, um, then you know, just to try to differentiate, the people creating the more noble content pulled aside. And so then you ended up categorizing things as Christian or as Catholic or as whatever, you know, wholesome. And so then what happened? Then the darkness took over the realm of normal and then then the, the more wholesome things were shoved into a ghetto. And the unfortunate thing about the human mind that I've learned through these years of study is that once you have excitotoxins, okay, it's the same thing as MSG. MSG excites your brain and you want more of whatever has the MSG in it. Well, sex and violence and bad language, all those things are moral excitotoxins. And so as soon as you insert those in your books and in your music and in your movies, you get an appetite for them. And so then, especially for children and teens, once you've had a fairly steady diet of the things that are compromised or, you know, morally misguided, then if you go over to the things that are considered wholesome or faith-filled or faith-rich, and those become boring, even if they're well-written, beautifully crafted stories, classics, all those things. And so then you almost have to either help your children be very limited on their exposure to the things that have the uh, the, the bad additives, as mm-hmm. I would say, mm-hmm. in terms of your literature and, and entertainment food, um, to really limit the exposure to it. Or if the children have been very exposed, to put them on a detox diet. Because we experienced it with our son. Our son, as he was getting into middle school, he was reading all kinds of things, watching all kinds of things. And I was like, something's got to stop. We've got to stop. And so I spent a summer where I called it our virtue immersion summer. And I had him watching Beverly Hillbillies. I had him watching Gilligan's Island. He was watching Daniel Boone. He was reading everything that was wholesome and virtue-rich. And he went from a grumpy, irritable boy at the beginning of the summer to the kind of boy that we would all want our sons to be by the end of the summer in three months' time. His personality was kind, peaceful, cooperative, everything we would want a child to be. And it was the only change was the kind of entertainment and reading that he was experiencing.
0: Well, kudos to you. I mean, kudos to you for for one scene, the large issue that you're trying to address uh, through the media works and just for your own efforts, you know, on the home front and you know, I, I, I can say, you know, along those lines, we don't have in our house, we don't have we don't have regular cable. We don't have satellite. We just didn't want it. And uh, but we'll we'll watch some shows sometimes. And my uh, my my wife is extremely happy to watch Dick Van Dyke or Donna Reed show with the kids. and And, and, and they like it because mm-hmm. that's what they that's what they know. They haven't been exposed to. Some of the other sort of stuff that's out there in the world, you know, so when we start at the beginning with as you know wholesome right. content, we can maintain that versus having to potentially detox, as you said right. so uh, i'm I'm thrilled that you're making efforts to try and create this system. Uh, for people to look at the media in a different way because I, I think it's sorely needed. And it, other, I, on other shows, I've also talked about it. There's so much content out there that I just wish wasn't there. And we have to really, really fight hard to keep it at bay. You know, it, it was easier before. Now it's it's difficult. It's so difficult right. to fight against it. But I know it's, a, it's something that we can accomplish. And, you know, with... A system like yours, it sounds like it's another tool to put in the parental uh, handbag to sort of help right. combat uh, what the world is sort of surrounding us with.
1: Yeah. And and I wish I could say it was all up and running and all that kind of stuff. But to to produce something like this, the technology is huge. Sure. And the price tag is really huge. And so I've just had to be very faithful and you know for right now I'm building the storytelling of the little characters and the little virtue heroes and I know at the right time the right person and the right people are going to hear about this and they're going to say okay let's make this happen let's let's get the donors and all those folks together and we're going to we're going to make this happen so I just keep walking forward in faith cuz I know the need and we just got to figure out uh you know when god's gonna bless the vision
0: sure sure and uh you know to any of our listeners if uh if kathy's mission which she's working on with the media works if uh if that sounds intriguing to you or if maybe you know someone who uh can maybe uh be helpful i mean please reach out to uh to to kathy yeah um but uh, Kathy, I think we've got to wrap up, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm so glad you've taken some time to join us. And uh, thanks for expanding upon the, the Tiny Virtue he- Heroes. Uh, for anyone who's interested, that uh, website, you go to virtueheroes.com, and you can, uh, you can read more about the Tiny Heroes and a little bit more about Kathy uh, if you wanted to try to track her down for any reason. Uh, but thanks so much, Kathy. I really appreciate uh, all the work that, that you're doing.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. It's an honor to be with you. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing what God does. Uh, we, we, need, we need more virtue in our world. <laughs> yes,
0: ma'am. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, thanks so much for joining us on this episode where we talked with Kathy Gilmore. I hope that you will tune us in again next time. Until then, be good, stay safe, peace.